my friends, and welcome to Worship for Carmen United Church this August 30th of 2020. We are at Carmen United Church in Sydney Mines, and I'm the pastor here, Reverend Nick Phillips. I'm so glad you've joined us for worship this day. Before we begin worship, I just invite you to take a moment to quiet your heart and your mind as we come together to worship our Almighty God. Let us pray. Lord God, we come today to worship exploring what it means to follow your Son, Jesus Christ. We come today to learn from him, to learn about you, to learn about your ways. So, Lord, as we worship, remind us, share with us what it is, what it means to be your child. This we pray and hope and love in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In our scripture reading today, we took a look, take a look at Matthew 16, verses 21 to 28. It is a continuation of what we were looking at last week as we learn more about what it means to have Jesus as a strong foundation in our lives. And it reads, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, we gather in your presence this day to find, to explore, to learn what it means to be a child of yours. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You who are our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. I remember how I felt when Wayne Gretzky retired. I, I knew it was coming. He was far from his prime. His age was catching up to him. He was a slower player. He was still fun to watch. Don't get me wrong. But he wasn't the dazzling scorer he once was. I also remember when Michael Jordan retired for the first time. And the shock that I and the whole basketball world, the whole sports world, felt hearing that the greatest basketball player of all time was hanging up his sneakers while still in his prime. I also remember when Larry Bird retired. I didn't want that to happen, but I knew it was coming. He was my favorite player. It was no surprise to me that he did retire. Larry Legend carried the Boston Celtics and his body was beginning to wear down. It was time. It was time for him to retire, even if no one really wanted it to end. 
Now, I'm sure you all have those moments when you think back and remember those times when someone you admire decides to change their lives, whether it be retirement or whatever. Now, you might understand the reason behind it, but we just don't want it to end. It could be athletes, it could be politicians, it could be a favorite teacher, a movie star, it could be your hairdresser, whoever, whatever they do for a living. When they step out of their chosen line of work or retire, there is a sense of loss. Am I right? In a way, our reading today, Jesus is kind of announcing his retirement. Now, thankfully, it's not a retirement plan any of us have to take. He's starting to teach people about what's going to happen to him. He's starting to teach them that soon they won't see him any longer. He says uh, he's going to be beaten. He's going to die. Now, this is the retirement plan I don't think any of us would choose on our own. And like so many, Peter just doesn't want this to end. He's been with Jesus for for three years now. He's seen so much. He's learned so much. He wants to stay with Jesus for his entire life. He never, he never wants this to end. So he kind of pulls Jesus aside and says, No, I will not let this happen. We will not let you die. You will not leave us. And so how does Jesus respond? Does he say, well, thank you for your dedication, Peter. That means a lot to me. Or, as we read in Scripture, Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Given that not long ago, before this Jesus is praising Peter for his faithfulness and his dedication uh, to, to God's plan and purposes for Jesus' life, this may come as a bit of a surprise. It was just six verses ago in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus was praising Peter, and now he's calling Peter Satan. Now granted, in those six verses, maybe a few days have passed, but as we're reading through the Gospel, this is uh, a rather stark transition as we go literally from one paragraph to the next. Join me for a moment as we think back to Matthew chapter 4. And in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has just been baptized and he's gone into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting and prayer. At the end of those 40 days, he's visited by the devil. And he's tempted in that moment to give up God's plan for his life, to work for his own glory instead of God's. And it's three times the devil tries to tempt Jesus with everything as something as simple as food to fame and riches. All he has to do is bow down before the devil. And after each temptation, three times, Jesus responds with Scripture to refute to refuse Satan's plan to disrupt God's plan, which is to redeem the earth through him. As we read through the, as, as, as one we reads through the Gospel of Matthew, you may notice that he likes to use a certain writing style. He likes to use what some people call bookends. 
That is, he uses references, uh, some in the moments in the life of Jesus, to encapsulate a message or to remind us of something. He does that a number of times in the gospel. Usually it happens maybe within a chapter as a, as a parable is kind of put in between two bookends of teaching that sort of draw attention to what the message is, truly is. Sometimes they are a little farther apart. And I think we've come across one of those today, which spans most of the gospel. Jesus, by saying, get behind me, Satan, is reminding us of something. He's reminding us of how he, was a, he, how he was tempted to abort God's plan in the very beginning of his work. And now that he's approaching the end of his earthly ministry, he's being tempted once again to give it up. Now, I don't believe Peter is controlled by or representing the devil. He is really just saying what everyone else is thinking. No one, no one wants to lose Jesus. He's too amazing. He's, he's done so many great things. He's just absolutely adored. People are so in love with what he's doing and him himself. No one wants to see him retire, let alone die. But this conversation with Peter is taking Jesus back in his memory. Going back three years to that time in the wilderness, tired and hungry, being tempted to turn away from the plan that God has put in place and follow someone or something else, someone other than God, which would have been a really bad thing. The world would have lost a huge source of hope. You think things are bad now and we have Jesus to turn to. Imagine how bad it would be without him. Jesus, in rebuking Peter, is reminding himself and all of us what the plan really is. And what it has always been. He will suffer. He will die. And he's going to do it willingly because of love. God's love. Jesus reminds Peter that this is not in any way about an earthly plan, but a heavenly plan. It's not about the plans of humankind. This is about the plans of God. So what does it mean to put our minds on God's plan? Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself, pick up the cross, and follow him, follow Jesus. Jesus continues, for whoever would save his life or soul will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul. What was Jesus being tempted by in Matthew 4? The whole world, if he would give up his soul. Or Jesus says, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is talking about submitting to God's plan. He's talking about focusing on heavenly things, not earthly things. 
So what does this look like? Let's turn to what Paul says in his letter to the Romans, looking at chapter 12, starting in verse 9 and following, where Paul writes this. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. In other words, act different. Act differently than what the world is expecting you to do and and how the world is expecting you to act. Live in harmony. Don't be angry or vengeful. You want to outdo someone, Paul says? Outdo them by showing honor. Be patient. Bless those who persecute you. Don't don't see yourself as, as above the poor or disadvantaged. And I love the last comment of, those, of, the, of the passage where it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. So often these days, we hear people demanding blood be poured for the wrongs they have witnessed. They expect people to pay for their crimes and pay harshly. In other words, they are demanding evil for evil. That's not the heavenly way. That's not God's way. We are told to do good. Even in the face of evil, we are to do good. This is such a radical concept for people to try and wrap their heads around. But it's this kind of radical change in behavior that shows where our devotion lies. If our devotion is to the ways of this world, then it's practically impossible to do good in the face of evil. It's not completely impossible, but it's pretty hard. We can all name situations or times or people who who are able to do this. But it's really quite hard and it's quite rare. 
But if our devotion lies with God, well, yes, it's still hard because we're so heavily influenced by the ways of the world, but it's not as hard. In fact, if our devotion lies with God, then it's like we actually want to do good, but we feel the pressure to submit to the ways of the world, to the evil that is expected of us. Now, yes, I get it. There, there are terrible, horrible situations and experiences in this world where it just seems like there's no good that can come of it. This is kind of why we have prisons, I guess. We have these systems that are in place to deal with these problems, these evils, which, by the way, is far, far from perfect. But in theory, in theory, they do help keep us a bit safer. They need some work, but they're there. Yet, I believe that God's good can overcome anything. There is no evil in this world that God's goodness cannot overcome, but we can only overcome it if we submit completely to God's authority and follow in his way. That's where we've gotten ourselves in trouble. The cross of Christ is the symbol of all evil in this world. Jesus went to the, cro- went to the cross bearing all of our sins to the point where it killed him. He suffered and died for our sin, our evil, our earthly ways which lead to death. But is that the end? No, it's not. The funny part is, Jesus taught them, yes, he was going to suffer, he was going to die, and that got the people upset, understandably so. But they kind of missed his third teaching point. They don't understand what it meant, mostly because it seemed too impossible for their minds to understand. You see, he taught them that he would, after he died, he would be raised three days later. He taught them that his death would not be the end. Now, they didn't get this. They, they couldn't understand it. They couldn't wrap their heads around it until they saw the empty tomb. And, but even then, they didn't fully understand it until Jesus walked into the room they were hiding and mourning in. Then, then they got it. The cross of Jesus is the evil. It is the pain. It is the suffering of this world. It is the symbol of everything that has taken place of God's love and goodness that he wants for his children. It is the symbol of death that is brought to those who reject God's ways, God's love. Jesus is inviting us to pick up the cross and to follow him. He wants us to give up our sinful ways, to give them to him on the cross and be free to live as God intends for us to live. Jesus really cares about us. He cares about our souls. Why? Because our soul is the essence of who we are. It is what lives on. This is the part of us that spends eternity in the presence of God. And Jesus wants us to be all there with him. 
So he doesn't want us to sell our souls to some other authority and and lose this opportunity. We cannot save our souls on our own. But only through Jesus Christ can we be truly saved. Temptation comes from all over the place. And we are continually bombarded with evil and sin every single day. It is our choice to command it away from us in the name of Jesus Christ and turn to God for guidance and salvation. That is, to let him restore our lives and save our souls. So today I invite you to let Jesus speak into your heart. Let him give you the healing you need in your soul as we give our sins to him. Let him speak God's love into your life so that we all may be free in Christ. Take up your cross, give your sins to Jesus, and let him save your soul. Amen. I'm recording this on Thursday morning, and we have been watching the news as Jacob Blake, another black man in America, was shot seven times in the back by police. Luckily, thankfully, he survived the attack on his life, but he is reported to be paralyzed as a result. Last night, Wednesday evening, the NBA canceled all of its games, playoff games, as players boycotted and refused to play. The players continued to meet late into the night discussing what it is they're going to do. There are reports of players who want to cancel the rest of the season. A couple of teams reportedly have chosen to boycott the rest of the season. Players want to leave the bubble and go home. Last night, the WNBA stood with the NBA and canceled their games. A few baseball games were canceled. There will be no play at a major tennis tournament in the United States today. All of this as athletes are demanding an end to racism. Of cops killing unarmed black men while white teenagers with AR-15s walk the streets freely, shooting and killing people and then getting into the cars as they walk past the police and driving home. All of this in the same city where Jacob Blake was shot earlier in the week. I'm hearing people ask questions like, how about those rich basketball players just play basketball and stay out of it? Or even, why don't they do more? The people asking these questions don't understand the culture of the NBA. They don't understand why, uh, what the players have gone through in their lives. So many NBA players watch nothing but violence from gangs and police target their communities as they grew up in poor neighborhoods in the United States. For these players, basketball was their sanctuary. It was their escape from the violence around them. Very few of them made their way to the big show, to, to the NBA. Most, however, did not. Some players saw their friends go to jail or even worse, be killed. So the NBA, the players, they're trying to use their platform to protect their families, to protect children, 
to protect neighborhoods from this violence. This violence which is so often rooted in systemic racism that has been building for hundreds of years. And it must stop. It doesn't take a lot to realize that many of the structures and the policies, we we just need to read about it, to learn about it. That these policies and structures that we enjoy as white people have many of their roots in suppression of black and indigenous people. We can't stand for it any longer. If all people matter, then we must demand that black people matter, that indigenous people matter, that all people of color matter. We need to demand it. Otherwise, we stand for nothing. If we remain silent on this, if the church does not stand with these people, then we are part of the problem. Silence is no longer an option. Silence means that we are standing with the status quo. It means we are standing on the side of the oppressors. Now is the time to take a stand. Realistically, it should have happened hundreds of years ago. But I suppose, um, better late than ever. Here in Nova Scotia, we're entering into a season, an election season, as people put their names forward for mayor and councils of our communities. It is a time for us to challenge our candidates to, to what they know about the racism that exists in our communities and ask them, ask them what they are going to do about it. Let's take this time to educate ourselves, to learn about our history and make a commitment to end racism now. Nova Scotia has a long history of racism, from black loyalists in Shelburne County to Africville and Halifax to how we treat our indigenous communities today. And it must, it must change. I wish I knew what the answer was. But I do know one who does know the answer. And so we pray. Please join me in prayer. Father God, our hearts break when we watch the news, as we watch your children slaughtered, executed on live video. And these are just the stories that we can see. You have, your children, they've been crying out for generations under punishment uh, of, of oppression and racism. And we stand by and enjoy our freedom. Help us to understand what is happening. Help us see how we can stand with our brothers and sisters who suffer. Help us to be the agents of change needed in our world to end racism. Lord, today we pray for the family of Jacob Blake. We pray for his young children who watched him get shot in front of the car they were sitting in. May they know the end of racism in their lifetime, as hard as it might be to believe it could happen that quickly. Lord, we pray for those who suffer under the injustices of racism. We pray for those who are targeted by violence and even violence at the hands of those who are deemed to be the ones to serve and protect. 
May their lives be free from fear. May they be free to walk in the streets safely. Maybe, may they be free to sleep in their own beds at night without police barging in and killing them like they did in the case of Brianna Taylor. May they be free from the knees that choke them like George Floyd. May they be free from walking to their car without being shot seven times in the back like Jacob Blake. May they be free to play with their toy guns in the park as children without being shot like Tamir Rice. Lord, these stories and so many more just break our hearts. And so we pray for an end. We pray for an end to the systems which have led to the violence, to death. And Lord, as the United States revs up its mighty election machine for the next three months, Lord, may this be the time. May this be the time to create a movement, a a change in culture which leads to the end of racism, not just in the United States of America, but in this entire world. And Lord, if we have a place, if we have a part to play in this change, may we be bold enough in the name of Jesus Christ to take a stand with our brothers and sisters and declare no more. This ends now. Lord, with broken and humble hearts, We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our brown-colored Savior, our brother and our friend, our brother and friend to all your children. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Be Still and Know, a ministry of Carmen United Church in Sydney Mines. To learn more about our ministry, please visit our website, www.carmenunited.ca May God bless you this day.